You're listening to Red Nation Online. Hey, Eastside Stand Up listener. As always, we appreciate you downloading the podcast and want to ask you a quick favor. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you checked out rednationonline.ca. Added us on Twitter at rednationonline. Give us the thumbs up on Facebook as well as iTunes. Any or all of those would be awesome. Thanks so much, and enjoy another episode of Eastside Stand Up. Who's Devontae? Slides it through for Dex McCarthy. Saturday, September 17th, it's ENV Sports, Aaron Nielsen, and I'm Ian Clark, and we're back from the football factory and TFC's 2-0 loss to the New York Red Bulls. Some are looking for positives from a much better display than 5-0 or 4-1. Still does not improve a side now in the midst of a seven-game winless streak. Aaron's lengthy background in statistical analysis, both in world football but specifically MLS, brings a unique perspective to the episode. We run through the match. TFC's players discuss who are the parts reviewing for 2014, and ask what Tim Laiwiki needs to do in coming weeks and months to make sure next season is not like the first seven for TFC. All in the next 45 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. So much good material said on the way home. Oh, so okay. much good stuff really said. Good. And then when we're watching the game, like whoever I've watched it with, that uh, we're coming back from the football factory, obviously, uh, we lay out so much great stuff. And like, you know, I'll say uh, Duncan Fletcher, I've sat with, and Kristen, and Kamal, and Andre. I'm like, hold, just hold, remember that. Remember what you said, because you got to go over it. You know um, that the I don't know if we're crying now, but a funny side story is is that Duncan Fletcher. You have two guys, right? Duncan Fletcher is one of the main, used to be one of the main BBC radio football announcers, and now he's on one of the, now he's one of the big, he's on BT or something, he's oh, okay. one of the big announcers. Yeah. Right? So his name's referenced all the time. And then Tim Vickery <laughs> yeah. is the guy in Brazil who I, who I actually have an ongoing battle with, right? Yeah. But he's that Brazilian expert who's on every single sort of talk show and yeah. stuff like that. And then you know a guy, Vickery, and you know a, the, Fletcher. Dr. Fletcher. So I'm like hearing it, I'm like, his opinion's not that. And then I'm just like saying, oh, who should I, should I be nice? Even though I hate Vickery, should I mention? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I'm going to start a fight Tim with Tim Vickery some... lives right there. Oh, really? Okay. That's okay. his house. Okay. I'm going to start a fight with some guy who I don't even know thinking yeah. he's this guy in Brazil. Yeah, and he's, and he's British. Like, he's from, oh, really? he's from okay. East London. Okay. And that's okay. his... That's no, no, uh... Vickery in Brazil is anti-statistics. Yeah. And so we had... I was actually on the World Football phone-in. Um, the guy who's the host of it, I actually became known. And he wanted me to be a guest on the show. And and basically, before being a guest on the show, I wrote something. Don't know the bio's the host, and I basically gave him my view, and he brought it up in a conversation. Vickery just went fucking crazy on it. Yeah, and it became a debate. But he controls that sort of show yeah. so much that it just became you know a non-starter, right? And so so now I have a sort of you know it's one of like I have all these. Industry enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you know it's like no other ones on the list. I listen so. to Tim Vickery all the time, and it's like I can see there is a yin and yang between what, well, you, know, no, what you offer yeah, and yeah, what he yeah, what his yeah, sort of yeah. thing is. 
you know what? We'll have a chance to just circle in that, uh, <laughs> circle back to that, and kind of expose some of the reasons why. But you know what? Let's roll into this. Okay. Because here we are back from the football factory, and this is, uh, we call it Stanley Park Studios. We had to move to our second picnic table because there was a skunk sitting yeah. on the first yeah. one. Like the good old days. There hasn't been go. a lot of skunks here this summer, and we haven't been here so much is, this is there summer. there some irony stinking it up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there is, I guess. You, when Toronto loses, there will be a skunk. <laughs> Uh, nosing around the park. There you go. We got a mascot now. Yeah, and it's a uh, 2-0 loss to uh, the New York Red Bulls. And we just as I left, I did a quick flick through my Twitter to see if, if it was going to be the way. I mean, you it's kind of like the way Toronto season's gone is you, you almost know someone's going to say lots of positives. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's still some some silver linings in another loss. and But what people of Unity are still seeing out there is I think it's uh, winless in seven. Sure. And I guess you could also say at least it wasn't five nil, yeah, or four one, yeah, yeah, or Henri completely embarrassed us. He only kind of slightly did, sure. And I mean, those are the things that we can draw from this game, I suppose. And I think after we kind of wrap up running through it, mm-hmm. that's the thing I want to kick to you in terms of there's been so much going on with this club over the last two weeks and questions surrounding where are we going, what are we doing. I'm interested in your opinion on that, but I sure. want to. But I think we should roll. Let's roll into this game, okay. kind of get through it, and like leave the the, the second half or let's say second two thirds just wide open to cover sure. whatever we wanted because it's just that's the way it's gone for the last couple of weeks. Is people are just they're just throwing stuff out there all over the place, and you haven't had a chance to be on the podcast. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Well, no, it was interesting because the only podcast I had been on was the other New York game in which they. Oh, I think yeah. they lost. Did they lose 2 nothing? That or? was the one where... The Cahill. Cahill got the two goals. Posterized yeah. Ashton Morgan. Yeah. It's, that's other interesting, too, to be also to decide to well, say... Well, then you got the Espanola header. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so it's yeah. Like, and, and Cahill got two headers. And that was... You remember the stat where Cahill had the most headers in the EPL? Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking about that in the last podcast. That's exactly that right. On, so... Yeah. So. But it's also interesting, like, I like doing the pod when it's like I've had someone on the start of the year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had Kristen Knowles on a couple of weeks back and I don't think we'd done one since almost preseason or early on. And it's sort of like, where were we talking about then? And where are we now okay. in terms of players and conversations? Because obviously at that point of the year, Ashton Morgan would have been just completely vilified. Sure. And, sure. you know, we had our thoughts on what he has to offer as a player. And tonight, I wouldn't say it was a bad game, and I don't think I yeah. don't think I can single out a bad a bad game from Ashton Morgan in well over a month, maybe pushing two. Yeah, yeah. But coming into it, you know, we obviously we had the midweek game against Chicago, one one draw, and the two things I would say I'm surprised with Toronto over these last two games is I think surprise might be the word that I throw out there that given everything that's gone on in terms of the instability off the pitch and even slightly on the pitch, mm-hmm. they haven't looked half bad. They've at least been looking competitive out there. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I, I think it also says something to the quality of the league. And that teams, New York, I think, is now in first place based on today, and they did not necessarily look like a first-place team. And Chicago's always a sort of weird team, but they have some decent players. And, and I didn't see the game on Wednesday, but I read the recap of it, and it seemed pretty even. Um, throughout, I, I, actually, it was very even throughout. I think they, you know, I was looking at the detailed statistics, and they had similar passing stats and similar shots on that. I think um, Chicago had a bit more of the possession, but this shows us, you know, in, in part to the later in our conversation, is the jump to exp- um, uh, respectability might be less than might not be all sad news in the future, kind of thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You can be that sort of middle of a pack club and still be semi-competitive 
And there's no team, you know, the great example now, although they, they are winning games, is, is Seattle with Dempsey and all their players. And no one's, you know, no one's really running away with it. Right. So, you know, it's, it's parody is the... <laughs> yeah. It's the major parody league. Or yeah, and it's, like I that, find so. it's almost a fine line between, like you're talking about that middle of the pack, which is obviously the bulk of the league, where you can be two or three wins away from going from out of the playoffs, yeah. well into the playoffs. Yeah. And you have, but then you have obviously Toronto, Chivas, and DC who are, have some pretty severe problems. And the, these are the teams that are they are well. well I'll under give you. The bottom. I'll give you. And again, you know, in terms of tonight's game, I don't know if you just want to go in chronological order, but because this will happen later in the game. But towards the end of the game, DK had a play where he outran the defense of New York and got a shot in net. And the first half. Weirman was doing the same run. You know, they had a couple of good breaks. Toronto was controlling a lot of the plays, but their skill level just didn't allow him to outrun the final defender to get a good shot in net. So the shot would get blocked or he would have to stand on the ball and think what he was going to do. And it's that little minute skill level that makes a difference between a shot in the net that can lead to a goal and, and plays being held up, you know, in the 18 or 20 yard line. So, yeah. so as I said, the whole game and the whole league itself there's all these little things, and it's, you know, it's in, in a lot of ways almost like a Rubik's Cube. And, you know, if you set your pieces right, you can sort of control your destiny more. And that's, I think that's my biggest issue with Toronto this season in terms of throughout the season is that, is, is that we don't know the answers we already have. So it's difficult for us to judge how we're going to fix it. Yeah. And I, again, we're still in the game. Yeah, that's, sure. You know, my my issue with this club is is a lot of times it's like with so much turnover that it's you bring in someone who maybe doesn't hasn't lived through the history of the club. Sure. So you see a lot of mistakes being repeated over and over. And that's that's frustrating in terms of, well, I mean, we can talk about we had a guy in the first two or three years that loved allocation money, mm. allocation money in quotes. Yeah. And again, we see this happening again this year. And yeah. you're kind of left wondering, what it, what is this? Like, yeah. what is going on? Yeah. We don't know what's going on. And I've already gone through this and saw how it negatively impacted the club. Well, you can even say that, bring, bring him back tonight's game with Henri's first goal, right? Because, sure. because Bloom played today. And during the first 10 minutes of the game, he actually did some very interesting runs up the right wing. He got some crosses in that never made complete goals or anything. I tweeted like Mark that. Bloom for president. <laughs> there you go, right? And then, you know, and he, and he was good. He was okay, right? Yeah. He, he was doing what they probably signed him to do. They probably watched a couple. He was playing in Atlanta in the NHL. They probably watched a couple of games there. They saw his skill level as an offensive threat running through the wing. Um, you know, realistically, if he was, you know, if, if that was your design and Morgan has some of those same skill levels, you get your left and right guy who can do that thing. But then the first goal scored by Henri, which is basically the, you know, TSN turning point or whatever you want to call it, the thing that changed the game was, is, you know, I know there's buildup that, that was also fault of, of other players, but he, he didn't even see Henri there. Right. And so Henri got the easiest tap in that you'll ever see in, 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 a, in a football match. Partly because he's a, the, the defender's unawareness of what's going on. Sure, and that's a good. We are actually running through the through the lineup or through the through the game. But I mean, you obviously mentioned something that we that I wanted to go off off the top in terms of a few different faces in the game from midweek. And of course, the most the most notable ones are Bloom starting at right back, like Bosamonde getting another chance okay. at center back, and okay. that's a guy that, of course, you know well, and we've talked about yeah. off off the pod and just going back and forth 
And then we also see, you know, through the midfield, we have Ray getting his, another shot, Hall holding on the middle with Osorio, Convy out wide, and up top, the dynamic duo, <laughs> the dynamic duo, Andrew Wiedemann. Some people like to call him Wiederman, but we can call him whatever, and Justin Braun. And that's where, you know, that's, I think defensively, that's where I was looking at first because Toronto's looked pretty, pretty solid when you've had Daniel Henry and Caldwell. And if not mistaken, Henry was on his fifth yellow. Because yeah, I can remember okay. them for many weeks talking about when's he going to get that next one. And then uh, Bloom starting at right back in, in place of Eckersley. So there was some question marks there. And against New York, in New York, we've had such terrible results over the year. Uh, I thought there might have been some problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and, and we lost 2 nothing, so there there was. Problems. Yes, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I'm talking about a 5 nil. That's okay, that's the okay, thing. When okay. I think about Toronto in New okay. York, I'm thinking 5 okay. nothing. Okay. 4-1. Those are the okay. things that make me shake my head. And funny enough, when we, we talk about coaches, I think this pointed out to me last time because I brought this up. The one time Toronto FC had a somewhat respectable defeat in New York, it was 1-0, and that was Precky at the helm. Okay. And he's a guy that I don't have a lot of love for. But now when I look back on the years, someone <laughs> asked, I think it was last week, when they are like, who was is, who is the best coach Toronto C ever had? Or have they ever had a good coach? And I was kind of like, well, no. But if I had to say best, I, people could probably start making a case for Precky might have been one of the best coaches we've ever had. Yeah, well, you know, I again, I think... At again, least on tonight's you know, result. Yeah, and, 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 and in some ways, you know, not trying to go off topic, but I think the issue with the coaches... In, in, in Toronto's complete history, is they've all been, they've all had an ego. And so they dictated, you well, know. Well, had an ego, man, yeah. you could tell. And so, personally, I tend to have issues with that because that means it's my way or the highway, and that's going to dictate the direction of the team, right? And I think, you know, in the case of Wiederman and, and Braun up front, is the only reason, now part of it is, is the other, what other options do you have? But the other issue is, is Nelson's, emphasis is on defense and maybe Wiederman and Braun play that system the best or or he has the most trust in them and so that's why he's giving them the opportunity over you know other options and stuff like that right right and so we as we roll through this game obviously made some really good points in that first half of like what we were observing which is actually Toronto didn't look half bad no they look no. pretty they look pretty decent in that first half the goal was a little bit of a oof like nothing to get uh, kind of like shook that house of cards down but overall again i was surprised i was expecting a lot worse again knowing the history of the way toronto's played in new york yeah but it's also it brought up something we were talking about halftime was sort of the makeup of the red bulls that we were kind of debating and how strange it was that for a for a team that's sitting pretty good in the table Mm -hmm. when you look at that roster you're not really although between toronto and new york you can see yeah there is a there's a different level of quality yeah. from, from player to player. There's no question about it. But still something when they n- announced the starting lineup for New York where you're kind of sitting there saying, is this really a contender? Yeah, and, yeah, no, it does bring up questions. Now, one of the questions is, is do people see Toronto as an easy win? So they give guys rest. They, they allow other players to minutes because, you know, they think Toronto's, they, they, they use the B team in that case. And I know that they had, New York had uh, Buntamante, who was actually a supplemental pick, right? And I think this was the first game he started all season. And he would be like, you know, Becker, although he did play today. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like Becker. Becker time. <laughs> Becker time. He'd be like Becker starting for us, right? And, and you know, if, so, if you read the team sheet this season, you saw Becker starting, you would think, oh, okay, what's going on here? What's the situation? You know, are we taking this game light? You know, that kind of stuff. 
yeah, it was it was interesting to see what New York was trying to do and what New York was trying to prove. Now, again, I don't haven't fallen New York on a day to day level. I don't know how healthy Cahill was. I don't know how healthy. I know Espadena came into the second half and he actually scored the second goal. Yeah. But yeah, so you know, I, maybe it was just their situation that that that's what they were, had to do. But yeah, um, but I just never get. I just I, when I was looking at this matchup and I was kind of trying to break down where New York is sitting and what they're up to, and you look at the table, I'm already thinking about the playoffs and kind of who's who's who am I looking at? And even though New York looks so good, I'm still just something about them, you know, that just. And you talked about Henri before we started. We were just like, I'm. You're not convinced that. Yeah, to be he he actually um, he impressed me today. Like he did seem to be more included and more willing to play. Now that being said. It wouldn't surprise me if this is the last season in the MLS. And I have seen him earlier in the season where he's been far less interested in playing. And he was actually benched in one particular game because of that attitude. So yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's again, it goes back to the parody of the league, right? Because no team really seems like they're a dynamic force, especially in the Eastern Conference. Right, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's good for our, our Canadian brothers in Montreal because it does give them a fighting chance, even though they have questions as well. Yeah. Um, rolling through the second half, you know, there's only a couple points I want to bring up, and sure. then we can close the door on the game and <laughs> okay, then sure. open up the barn doors to talk about everything else. You know, the, the two points that I think, and they happened also consecutively, was that that Jonathan Osorio kicked to the head, yeah, which yeah. was quite the sight, and that was something that you heard it on the, I think it was on the telecast. They weren't too happy with that, but I, I kind of came defense to Osorio saying kid isn't playing in multiple gears he's pretty much going at it the full 90 minutes and to almost to an extent i don't want to see him pulling up i want to see him going 100 yeah, miles yeah, per hour yeah. at all times he's 20 21 years yeah. old what, what else do you expect for this kid it was it was clumsy there's no question about it and and, and maybe in, in retrospect yeah things should have changed but I'm not going to really... Well, and you do, and you do get your... And this is, you know, again, in terms of, of, of uh, questions remaining, is the game provides its justice in its own way, right? You know, like, we've seen many soccer games where a player, a young player, has been too hyper, and he goes into a tackle and he gets red carded. And that's a lesson to him, right? And so hopefully later on when he plays, that he realizes that, oh, I, you know, i got to stop before I do this, or I'm going to get red carded. You know, when that play did happen, you know, a brawl almost took place. I like to see those moments just because I do think they're learning moments in terms of, you know, developing and, and figuring out what the game provides and what, yeah. you, what you can get away with. You know, and to piggyback off that is I think Daniel Henry is probably a good example of that, where at the start of the year, he was completely reckless around the 18-yard box yeah. and getting cards all over the place and really was a bit of a liability. And then you bring in Stephen Caldwell, with the experience that he has. And once they sort of linked up and formed a partnership, I think also part of a game experience, but as well having that guy yeah. that he could be under his wing. Yeah. Uh, Henry's been super steady, I think, for the last six weeks, two months, yeah. through a huge chunk of the summer that I'm not, I don't see him out there saying shit, like he's, he's been isolated, he's going to get burned, he's going to do a reckless foul. He's been pretty good. Well, and that's in, in, in reference to tonight's game. You know, these are the most difficult games, especially if you're uh, commenting on the losing team of who's your player of the game, right? Yeah. Because nothing offensively happened, no goals were scored and stuff like that. And so if I was going to give a vote, I'd probably give it to Caldwell. And part of that was, is his awareness. You know, there was a play where New York was on the break and he did the most cynical foul you can think of where he just grabbed the guy and threw him to the ground, right? But 
that awareness in that situation at that time, it might have saved him a goal, it might not have saved him a goal, the game has very little value, but knowing that you're aware of that. So if you are in a playoff you know, game or you are in a game that makes the playoffs or, or, or in a knockout stage in a CONCACAF situation, you know your willingness to do that, yeah, right? And that is a tactic that you learn, right? And what, one, of the things, one of the things that's interesting in soccer, especially as a defender, is it's almost like a, a kid in school. You realize the punishment isn't as bad as you think it's going to be. And so you stop doing things out of fear and you just deal with it as the consequences happen. And, yeah. and that awareness is probably the number one skill defensively. Yeah, right? and, he, and the, to continue on that play, I mean, he, he made the foul. Yeah. And he just kept running. Yeah. And you could see in his face, they zoomed in on him. He didn't have to turn around. He knew yeah. he was getting a yellow card, yeah. but he was getting he was yeah. going to his position because yeah. he knew they were going to do a yeah. free kick. Why stand there and chat with the ref sure. when, when they're setting him for a free kick and he has to sure. go be standing 10 yards in front of Joe Bendick? And, 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 and in connection to that with the defensive fear, the one thing that worried me greatly in terms of Toronto's defense is their ability to head the ball out of trouble. One of the most simplest things you're taught in soccer, especially as a defensive player, is get rid of the ball as far as possible, right? And instead of one of the one of the things you do out of fear is you just try to make contact. And in a lot of cases, Morgan, you know, I don't even know why he was standing in front of Bendik when he's a left back, um, but even Agobasi, yeah, um, would just touch the ball, right? And touch and heading the ball a foot into the air or heading the ball to your feet when when the, when your opponent's forwards are right in front of you. Yeah. Is, is as bad as, you know, because nine, you know, the weird thing about soccer is, is that a large percentage of balls that come into the box, if no one touches it, misses a complete net. Right. Or the goalie can just pick it up like it's nothing, right? Yeah. It's you causing the commotion with the ball and creating that pinball type of thing, which we've seen in other games where Toronto has allowed goals in this fashion. That's what you're trying to get away from, right? Yeah. You're trying to be assertive as possible in every situation and every position. Yeah, and part of that comes down to, I think, uh, is the communication on that back line where if you have, for the most part, except for this year, I mean, Toronto's had a very young back line with yeah. not adequate experience. Uh, one play, of course, was uh, there was a play where Caldwell uh, slid into a cross yeah. and cleared it, and then he got up and turned around and tore a strip off Bloom because he didn't have to do that. Yeah. I mean, that cross was going to no one. All yeah. he needed to do was Bloom to tell him, yeah. don't worry, man, there's nobody here. You can let it go. You can let it skip yeah. through and I'll pick it up. Well, of course, that didn't happen. And then you have Morgan as well. With with Agbasamonde clashing in the box, yeah. and it's like who's talking, yeah. who's telling who, where's what. Well, the, the interesting thing is, and again, we can talk this about this later, but it almost gives more credibility to something. One of the first things I talked about when I was writing for Red Nation Online is Toronto should experiment with a five-three-two, mm, yeah, right? Yeah. Because you get the wingers doing wingers things, you get this, you know, you center backs doing center backs things, you know, you make it as simple as possible. Right. And and, you know, it's, it's just now I know with Nelson, you know, he comes from a 442 background. He's lived in a 442 background. And I've said this a lot in, in previous articles, you know, talking about the academy, talking about certain things and stuff is you're not going to teach an old dog new tricks. And even though these players are 22, 23, I don't think playing MLS games, unless you want to lose consecutively, I mean, lose a lot of games and their confidence is going to remain positive that they're going to learn from these situations. Right. You know, these are desperate, even though it's a game that nothing matters in those defensive situations, those are desperate situations. Right. And so you're not learning anything from that. Right. You're, <laughs> you know, you're, you can't say it. To, you can't say to a guy who's, who's a center back and the ball's coming into that area. Oh, just let the ball go. 
that's something that you learn off the field. That's something you learn by positioning. That's something you learn. That becomes who you are, right? So to wrap it up, we should just go through that goal because there was one. It was a bit of a yeah another well, bizarre I, breakdown. The last one there. Yeah. I mean, you touched on it, but it was all. It was again a bit chaotic in the box. Yeah. And we see, uh, you know, one of the signings that they signed for a pretty healthy wage, Jonas Elmer, get a bit undone at the far side of the box, and they lofted it over to the uh, to the opposite end. And we saw. A I still spindle. say it's a cross. Yeah, <laughs> you know when you look at it again. I mean, heck, it's like uh, what was like. What was the World Cup? Geez, the one where Ronaldinho did that long free kick oh, over okay. top of yeah, Seaman, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you have the debate. It was like, was he really trying to score from there? And you're like, yeah, he's that good. He was really trying to do it. Well, and again, you know, maybe you know, maybe I don't know the the science or the mechanics of this because if you see the goal. Um, Espinola is looking. There's their number four. Olave. Uh, Olave is basically standing on six or six feet out in front of the net. You see Espinola looking at him, right, and then hit hit the head the ball. Yeah. Right. So unless by looking one way and heading the ball other way creates this great <laughs> spin that puts the ball into a net, and that was a design play. Yeah. To me, it seems like he was trying to head it back into the center, and then you know reality if he did they'd still score, right? Yeah. You know, but what it made it look like, and it made it look like this sort of fantastic, it, it brought some entertainment to, <laughs> to the game, right? It looked like a special goal, right? Yeah, so that's, you know, we get out of this game 2-0, and like I mentioned before, we see all the, the tweets and everything that people are kind of putting out there where it's like, ah, you know, at least there's some positives to build from this game. And now I think I want to, I want to. I mean, we've tied some pretty good discussion actually so far and sort of giving some breadcrumbs of where we're going to go with this podcast. But I mean, I think the, the main reason, Aaron, obviously it was Jones and to get you on a podcast over sure. this period because there's just so much uh, I want to pick your brain about in terms of you know, where this team needs to go, what's going on, the, the, play, the major players that are a part of what's going to happen in terms of like Wiki or Nelson and whatever. Yeah. Get your opinion on that because we've talked about it not on a pod and uh, I think it's something worth sharing. And I think the first thing is my questions in terms of you know, where, is this, where is this club now? And what are we looking at for the end of this year? And, yeah. and with also whether you, this is part B to that question, because when I was saying we were watching the game, you know, in previous years I could say, fuck, well, here's another shit season. We're finishing last. But I guess we have, a, we have a draft pick out of this. Yeah, yeah. And we can't say that this year. Yeah. And that's something that's kind of a tough pill to swallow, where it's like we're going to finish last. And in North American sports, you kind of have something to show for finishing yeah, last, yeah, and yeah. we have nothing. Well, I think I think the you know I don't know, and we might you know we can we can chat about it briefly or in detail, but I don't know what the already thing meant personally, right? But the reality is, and and I heard and I read that we were interested in DK even before the already, and the already was just a guy that we could get rid of to get DK, right? And I think the signing of DK is an example of this sort of American, you know, even though he's plays for Niger- he's played for Nigeria, this sort of American or North American soccer player that's going to provide some depth, provide some core to the team and stuff like that. Now, you don't necessarily need a draft pick. What the draft allows you to do is pick the best player available, right? Now what you're doing is you're picking up scraps and hopefully some of these guys pay off and some of these guys, guys don't pay off. And it's difficult right now to say what of this current team is even going to be here the next season. And if you had a better understanding of that, then you could develop and say to yourself, well, this is what we need to concentrate on. This is what we need to look at. This is what we need to analyze and and stuff like that. Now, to be honest with you, in my view, and this is where I've been critical in terms of some of the writings I've done, is I don't see a lot of 
upside, right? I don't see, you know, I don't see a team that's trying to be successful, re-signing Braun, re-signing Wiederman, re-signing um, Ray, re-signing Elmer, re-signing, you know, and there's the list can continue and continue and continue. Now there is a couple, you know, Zario's exciting, Laba is, is I think a very good skilled player, you know, so there is some hope, but that's the problem is just how big the mission is. Yeah, and one thing I always think about too is, and I think that's worth keeping in perspective when we talk about some of these players and how good we think they are and what they have to offer is a, is the stark, cold glass of water put on our heads is that we are one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah. So however good we think these players are, they are the components of the bottom of the yeah. table. Yeah. Asking yourself truthfully, how many of these players would you actually be seeing playing for the LA Galaxy? Or yeah. the Seattle Sounders, yeah. or, or sporting yeah. Kansas City. I mean, we already know that Bobby Convey, who people are starting to say, "Oh, yeah, Bobby Convey, like he's he's all right," was a non-factor sure. in sporting Kansas City. Sure. He couldn't, you know, he was he was being outplayed by Jacob Peterson. So I mean, that's really <laughs> something to consider. Of like, uh, just piggybacking on what you're saying, that uh, you know, who are the components looking next year? Yeah, and of course, obviously, factoring in salary and whatnot. Well, a good example, and, and let's just say Lewicki, because of his connection. Now, I, again, I can't. I don't know how much credit you give Lewicki LA, right? You know, I don't think he was the guy picking every player and drafting everybody and deciding where everybody was. But if you look at LA, LA is a very interesting team, right? Because LA has guys who are definitely better than TFC players, but they have guys who are equal to TFC players. They have a lot of, the, you know, Zardes, Villarreal, young guys who are yet to be proven, you know, in a, in a Morgan on Henry sort of framework. Um, they have guys who are just completely like, what the, <laughs> yeah. you know, why are you there? What the hell are you doing? But they have, the, the difference is, is they have Keen and Donovan and now Gonzalez, the DPs yeah. who, who shine out. And they have that second tier, which is almost more important to Franklin, the, the, the uh, Juninho, uh, Juninho, uh, De La Garza, uh, Severas, yeah. who are your quality uh, MLS players. Yeah. And that, Miss, and that's the component I think is missing from Toronto, right? The DP, I think, I think we, we depend too much on the DP. I think it's, you know, the chance of a DP succeeding is almost equivalent to a chance of a DP failing, right? But you, that's how your hands, right? If you bring the greatest player, if you bring uh, Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi and they decide not to play, you did the best you could bring sure. the best player to the team. It's that second tier, and that is where... Toronto just baffles me. Like I don't know what they're trying to do, or you know. And then when you, and then when you, because the uh, MLS through their union makes salaries uh, public, and then you look and see which players are getting paid and how much they're getting paid, and then it even confuses you even more, right? <laughs> because you're paying Elmer. Now again, I know Elmer's contract and Ray's contract are half contracts because they're signed later on in the season, or, or they're not getting that full amount of money. But, you know, if, if Elmer plays the full season, you're giving him 130000 bucks. You know, 130000 bucks on Los Angeles is Surveyor's salary, is Franklin's salary, is De La Garza's salary. Yeah. Right? That's the direct comparisons you can make. And you can do this. We're just using LA as an example. I can go through almost any team. I, I think there was one thing, and I don't think we ever did it in a letter or, I mean, in an article, but I gave you player comparisons on every team in the MLS. Right. What you could get for Alvaro Ray and Elmer's contract. And yeah. it was basically taking the key players, you know, like Bernier in, in Montreal, like the key players that defined the team. Yeah. And saying, okay, we can that's what you get for 180,000 bucks in, in the MLS. Yeah, you know, that's something that that I would also 
tie in with the comment I made earlier about you know Toronto not learning from some mistakes of their past. Yeah. Because last year we saw when they signed, uh, they re-signed Eckersley and then they bring in OD. Yeah. And you combine those two guys, two players on Toronto FC were sometimes five defenders on yeah. other teams in the league. Or, yeah. or they were their entire yeah. back line. Yeah. The, they, those two players cost the same or more than all the back line of the Seattle Sounders. And that's something where it's just, again... Kevin Payne did get a lot of credit in quotes for for cleaning up the salary situation in Toronto FC, but I still I still think some of those those signings are question marks. Well, the question how- is 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 well, already one of the concerns is, and, and another thing that I've written about in the past is O'Day. We got nothing. We got salary relief, right? We got nothing for him, right? Eckersley, realistically, you know, I don't think we're keeping him, right? So he's going to be gone at the end of the season. So again, we're getting roster space and salary cap, right? So. If they had, if if O'Day was Franklin and and Eckersley was Dilagarza, we could trade them to any team in the MLS for draft picks, for allocation money, for import um, spots, for you know whatever you want to get from them. Yeah. Right. And that's you know that's the difference. And and the funny thing is, and my probably my deepest criticism of Toronto over the past couple of years, and when you mentioned with the draft pick, is what we're giving up to get stuff. You know, the Hasley is the one's probably the most outrageous one. But Convy, we're giving draft picks, we're giving spots for for those guys to be on our team. Yeah. And why? You know, go to a park and find a guy in the street. Yeah. Right? If you're playing out the season, why spend money? Why, you know, why do this? Just go away. Yeah. I mean, you, you, know? you signed a 21-year-old kid who was playing the CSL last year. Yeah. Why are you not back? Or, or Toronto, you know, since the MLSC likes their money so much, have a raffle, get some guy to pay 50000 bucks to play with TFC. Yeah. And say I'm in the middle of the pitch. Yeah. Right? You're, you're out of the season. You're not making the playoff. It's not going to hurt. You're only hurting your future. Yeah. And that is, you know, and I did. One of the, you know, one of the articles, and as I said, I don't usually get passionate about a team I don't usually get passionate about sports but one of the articles I did and I said and I actually you know maybe a little bit cruel but I referenced Toronto FC to a drug addict yeah right where you cannot trust them right you they just become completely (laughs) you know you just have to walk away you can't there's no common sense there's no there's nothing you can do for them yeah and it's and it's that thing it's just the stupidity that is is upsetting it's not you know it's it's the system is a system right and, and and you could go. Th- we could go through any team in the league and be critical about certain things they're doing, but it's if you have a way. Toronto's thing is a hundred things that they've done wrong, where other teams are doing you know ten, fifteen things with issues. Yeah, right? one thing I think that I want to pose to you as well is when we're looking ahead, and, and there's something we have to look ahead actually more in the short term. Is of course we're talking about the players and the guys up, up top of this team in terms of Tim Lewicki. I mean Tim Lewicki as as we've think we've been told you know has a couple targets to fill the boots of Kevin Payne uh, and sort of what that means for you know as a general manager the direction of the team and as well as Ryan Nelson it's it's a peculiar setup and something again that is frustrating for me because time and time again you see like this year we saw Tom and Selmy or the league whoever it was appoint Kevin Payne knowing that you know there was going to be a new CEO coming into Tamalasi mm-hmm. who may want to put his hands over things so in a sense, you know, you knew that if Tim Lyoka comes in, he's gonna he's gonna be reassessing his team and say, "Shit, man! Like, why did you just sign Kevin Payne?" Yeah, well, I no, want to change think, things up. I think the, so. Now we're gonna yeah. have a general manager that that could potentially come well, in and say, "Why am I stuck with with Ryan Nelson? I would never in a million years make this guy my head coach." Well, of all of all the you know, and again, there's, there's so you could write a book with all the great subplot mm-hmm. stories. 
especially off the field with TFC this season. But to me, the greatest question is, is what was Lewicki's MO regarding pain when he first came in, right? Is, did he fire pain because pain failed to perform what Lewicki wanted to do? Or was Lewicki's goal always just to get rid of pain? Right. And what was and, and, you know, based on some especially, you know, and it's weird because it's, it's you get TFC's take on it and then you get the media's take on it and then you get rumors takes on it and stuff like that. But the impression is, is that pain was given an agenda and failed to come on, on the agenda. Yeah. Now, what was that? Right. And that would be a very interesting question, because then you could then you would understand what Lewicki's goals are and Lewicki's MO and, 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 and understand where the direction of the team is, is more going. Like, I guess I'm more positive than most on Lewicki. Because I do see him as a bit of a shit disturber. I do see him trying to do something. I think one of the things that you have to understand about the MLS is is where we're not every team in the league is financially viable as Toronto FC. And, and, and a lot of the stuff done in the league is to protect the league. Having a guy like Payne, who's one of the league's guys, almost says we're part of the box and we're going to play with all the kids. And now with Lewicki, it's like, you know, I just want to win. Right. And, and in terms of entertainment, in terms of what, you know, I think that's great. But the other thing you have to take into account is that the quality of play of MLS is probably in the bottom third of soccer around the world. So you can do anything to the team <laughs> as long as you're willing to do it and improve the quality. Right. Yeah. And so you give someone, you know, 26 million bucks, which I've heard, and you give someone an ability to do that, I think the opportunity of succeeding from that is, is greater than, than, than not. Maybe let's run through some ideas in terms of like this club perhaps moving through the offseason. We, we talked about the pieces that we thought might be viable moving forward into next year who might not be around. But yeah. I mean, the question that people are going to ask is the people are going to ask, what are we going to get for $26 million or $25 million? And, the, and it sounds like there's a timeline set. There's, there's two timelines I think that we've okay. seen set out is that in the short term, probably before by the end of the season, we're going to hear about a new GM. Sure. I'm expecting. I'm hoping. Okay. And then by by January, David Miller is going to have to pay tw- double it for his uh, <laughs> season tickets. Apparently, according to Ryan Nelson. So that's the other the two dates. I well, mean, what can we what can we expect? The problem, out of both those? The problem you have is is the twenty. Well, you you already have. We we assume we already have Lab under contract, right? We assume Coverman is gone, so we assume there's only two DP spots available right. for us next season. The problem with the twenty six million is the salary cap of the league is three million right so you can't add to you know now i know there's some <laughs> allocation rumors and other things like that that make 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 allow you to go slightly above that but you're restricted in terms of what you can do right so the question is is if you you know close your eyes and bring in any player in the world you wish to bring in is morgan is is, is henry is agabosi can they play with that player and the team be better? And that's your question, right? So if you're bringing in a guy who's a striker, who's really, realistically, especially, you know, you're talking about a, a striker who's a bit older, um, probably not overly motivated to play in the MLS, so he's probably not going to be having any defensive or responsibilities. You know, so you're still going to have Henri and Agabusi staying underneath your goalie. <laughs> you know, you're still going to have, you know, and I know he's got a lot of hype this year, and, I, you know, I think he's a decent goalie, but one of the things, and I, one of the most recent things I sent you or we were talking about, is that Bendik has a 6.36 save percentage, right? Which is, he allows a goal with every three shots on that, or more than a goal with every three shots on that. Um, historically, within the MLS and with soccer around the world, you're looking at a 700 to 750 save percentage, right? So, like, is Bendik good enough, you know? And, and that's your problem, right? And, and so it's what's available elsewhere. 
what's available, how much space, how much roster space and how much money are you going to have on the team? What's available from other teams through waiver wires when teams sure. drop players and then players become available through free agencies, through supplemental picks. And can you create enough of a core to allow the DPs to succeed within that team? And one of the things I did mention, which was, which is a bit worrying, is, is that in models previous where teams were below average or average and they stuck a DP in thinking that they're automatically going to be a good team, they stayed average or below average. Sure. Right? No DP has ever saved this league. Right? There's not a team that says, well, because of this DP, they win 24 games. Yeah. Right? They win 24 games or 20 games because every, you know, they have a decent amount of components throughout the team. Yeah. And I think I see, I kind of see two issues probably with when they're throwing out this $25 million man or whatever it's going to be. You know, the first one that I, I draw back on was is the story of when uh, Boca Juniors brought back Raquel May. Okay. And they sort of went outside of the box of the model that they set up for their club was that they never really had, re, until that point, they kind of followed the line where it was like everyone was sort of making the same money. Yeah. And everyone was on the same page. And then you bring in a guy that's making five times what everyone else is. Yeah. And you also kind of, you can maybe draw a parallel too when, when Beckham first yeah. came into yeah, the, the Galaxy yeah. where you had Alan Gordon making... 40 grand or 60 grand and then you have a guy standing next to him making this the more money than anyone ever has in mls oh well the the classic example from the book was is they went out to dinner together and they went dutch <laughs> and beckham paid 20 bucks or 40 bucks for his meal and wouldn't pay another dollar right where everyone was responsible for the same amount of money for their meal right? yeah it's like dude you make you know a gazillion times more than me <laughs> yeah and and, but like, that, that's an example of animosity that being yeah, created yeah. right whereas like in certain situations that wouldn't be there and of course the second one that i kind of i mentioned to you and I've, i talked about it before when when there was the whole forlorn rumor was we're gonna go out and get this like top shelf global international player and he walks in i'm just i'm just wondering how seriously he's gonna take uh, a head coach who may be the same age yeah maybe one or two years older and who was nowhere near the like nowhere near the level? I'm like, how much respect? And he doesn't have any coaching badges. He yeah. has no coaching experience. How how much is he going to take that guy seriously? Yeah. And yeah. I think we kind of saw this a little bit. Like I said, when even though Aaron Vinter has has the credentials, and even though Paul Mariner has the credentials, sometimes I had a feeling when Torsten Frings was out there. Sure, he just was like, fuck this guy. Like I don't give a shit what this guy yeah. says. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I've been in, you know, I've played World Cups. I've gotten here. I've lifted trophies. I know what I'm doing. I'm an attacking midfielder now, and we need to win this game. I'm going to do what I think needs to be done. I'm not going to wait for Vinter to tell me what to do. Yeah, and and, the and only, I'm going to tell Mariner to go fuck himself. Yeah. And the only, the only, and again, you know, with with being positive about something that most people have concerns with, you know, about Nelson, about Nelson coming back and stuff like that. Can he be just a coach? Right? You know, the the weird thing about so- soccer in general is is that Alex Ferguson makes all the decisions, right? Alex Ferguson buys a player, Alex Ferguson sets the prices, Alex Ferguson does all of this kind of stuff. And the scary thing, what you know, and I, I, again, I wrote about this, but the scary thing is, is it seemed Toronto gave Nelson that opportunity at the beginning of the year. You know, he brought in these guys from uh, uh, Queens Park Rangers, oh, you yeah. know, guys that he brought in that never even signed, like uh, Tao, uh, ben, oh, ben Hamid, <laughs> you know, guys. that's another one of the mistakes of the pain that I forgot about. <laughs> you forget about some of the things that happened. Um, like, oh, and then, yeah. you know, and then he brought in his, his national team 
co-player Brocky yeah. from New Zealand, right? And so he was basically saying, I have these are my contacts, these are my this is my influence, this is what I can bring you, right? Yeah. And reality is 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 how the teams perform is based on his contacts. Like he doesn't have the you know the the interesting thing is is if you take Porter in Portland, you know, after Toronto lost for nothing to Portland, Porter had probably very little say on Silvestre, on, you know, on these older European players coming into the team, right? That was probably done on a league basis or probably done on a GM basis with, with the team. What Porter had influence on is which young players bring in, who they draft, right? Which MLS players that he's accustomed to because of his time with Akron. And those are the players that has allowed Portland to be a much better team this season. So even though Porter prior to the season was an unknown guy in an American college and, and Nelson is a Premier League player making five million bucks or four million euros a year, Porter had far more, connect, far more, more connections for, this MLS, for the MLS. Right. Right. And that's the problem is Nelson has no, he can only bring so much to, to the game. Now, reality is, is the biggest issue I had under the winter regime and in many cases the Mariners regime is the defense was horrible, right? And we're allowing goals like crazy. And, you know, soccer is a very difficult game to score. So if you allow two goals from the beginning of the game, your chances, you know, you might as well just turn off the TV set. So it, uh, Nelson has improved the defense. So if you have him as sort of a, you know, name of coach, but responsibilities are limited, you know, he might, he might play a role. And maybe you have, you know, maybe you can bring it. I, I, you know, I, I can't think of an example. You know, I know Perlo was mentioned, some other people were mentioned. But you could almost have, like almost in an American football sense, where you have an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator, and you, you have this guy as a forward. <laughs> well, we do have enough assistance, so we can set something <laughs> well, up like go. that. Well, there you go. Where you could have a forward who the DP is, and his responsibility will not only be his success on the field, but his influence on... <laughs> I think we could have a fullback coordinator, we could have a midfield coordinator, we could have a striker coordinator, we could have a goalkeeper coordinator, we could have all those guys set up. But no, and, and, and you know, with joking aside, I think, you know, what you have to do, and I think one of the most important things to do, is simplify things and not overwhelm people and not give people too much responsibilities and not give people the key or the wallet and, and tell them, you know, what the, you know, what the crap to do, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, I don't know who this GM who, um, look, look, he's going to bring in, but I hope he is basically just an organizer, right? You know, just the guy who can put everything where it needs to be and, and organize it and, and stuff like that. Opposed to a guy who's going to bring a whole new idea and a whole new philosophy, view, philosophy or anything like that. Because, again, I don't think you're going to, I don't, you know, there's, there's a few, there's very few guys within the ML system who you could trust to make a huge change. And there's guys in the lower leagues playing coaches of USL teams like Heath who coaches uh, Orlando or, or coaches college teams. But if you hire one of those, you're looking at a three-year rebuild. Yeah. Right. And and I don't think we're in we're in the well, especially if we're pay, if we're, if we're basing tickets being buy in January. I don't think the club's uh, view is to do a rebuild. So. <laughs> right. They definitely don't seem to think that. Yeah. I think we should wind it down. Well, we might have to save it. For, maybe we'll do another one okay, at the end of the sure, season because sure. I wanted to ask you about uh, alternative like player routes or like player oh, signing okay, routes, okay, which yeah, I yeah. think yeah. is something that's valuable and something that you know well about, but. You know what I think? Sure. I sure. think on that point we should want, we should probably close this down, and that's what I said. I think we'll have you back, Aaron, because I think there's so much more that I'd be interested to pick yeah, your brain no, about, no, and no, I think people would be. That's the whole point. Or obviously, if this podcast is trying to get as many differing views and different sort of ideas 
of uh, what's going on with this team and how we can dig ourselves out of it and also trying to frame it in a way that it's like we're not I'm not trying to say it or we're trying to say like this is what's right and the yeah. way we should do it because I think it's interesting I like hearing the well, way the that you approach the unfortunate, it. Th the unfortunate thing right now is that the off season is more interesting to me than the season <laughs> and, and I want to be in the position that you are in and I want the team to succeed I want the team to win I want the team to do well and reality is, is if we were in that position if we were doing a Montreal Impact podcast or we're doing a, Can a sporting kansas city podcast you know my views would be positive it would say they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and this is why you can see them succeed and this is what they still need to do to yeah. improve so yeah so you know i'm i'm hoping <laughs> they can turn it around as much as anybody else right yeah I, you know so well okay we'll leave it there and what do we have we have well there you go you just said sporting kansas city we got them coming up next weekend for people are joking we might for the only time see the sporter shield at bmo field because uh, if they, I think they can clinch it on that game, uh, depending on how they do today, which I haven't checked. So well, my only sporting Kansas City tidbit is for three seasons, Zuzi was making thirty thousand bucks a year. <laughs> yeah, he certainly was, and now he's uh, so, top yeah. midfielder in the league, pretty there much. We, you open a door. Tucker, you you open a door. You open a door that we could have gone through right there, and I could have. Because remember, well, no, I, no, it, I think it shows. I think it shows the hope. Well, that's what I said too. Yeah. What was it? Uh, the other guy that I brought up was Lamar Nagel. Yeah, yeah. Was just like, look at that guy's career path and how he's doing this year, and he's 26. So it's just, you know, as much as I am critical and I'm waver on that line, it's like I do need to remember that like, when we talk about Ashton Morgan and we're critical, or we're critical about Kyle Becker, or critical about whoever that we're in. We're in North America, and players. This isn't Europe where players are hitting their peak at 22 or 23. But the fact is, is a guy can be 21 and 22 in England. And play in League One and still be a, a valuable player. Sure. Right. And we're here. We don't have you know those options. And stuff. You know the 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 saddest thing this you know is is that Welshman played five minutes this year. Becker played. You know that that's basically your legs broken. There's no benefit. You right. know, Like training. Okay. Sure. You you trained a bit and stuff like that. But there's no <laughs> you know you're 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 flatlining at best. Right. Yep. You know. So that's the, that's the issue. Right. Well. On that note, <laughs> we're hoping, we're hoping, yeah, we're still going. Becker, we'll hope Becker gets a, gets a game, gets some more minutes. Maybe Walsh will get some of the season ends. We got Sporting Kansas City next weekend. I will be there in the stands. I'm sure Steve Perry will as well. And uh, maybe one or two other guests, definitely at least us, the two of us. And on that note, Aaron Nielsen at yeah. ENB, Sports ENB Sports on Twitter. I'm big in Turkey. Oh, yeah. 14,000 followers. <laughs> Holy shit. And uh, on that note, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we'll see you Eastside Stand Up is the only Toronto C specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to be involved. Reach out to us on Twitter through hashtag ESSU or at Red Nation Online. You can email us at have your say at Red Nation Online or info at Red Nation Online. Get into the discussion on Toronto FC through Eastside Stand Up and Red Nation Online. You stand him, he'll